Thank you, guys. Um, I just want to say thank you to you guys, financial stewardship team, Ben and C out there, whoever else is out here that's part of that team. Thank you. It, it helps our church operate in a way that's um, above the table, that's clean, that works well. Um, as I had referenced, that we are definitely in prayer. We've, we've gone far and wide in announcing and trying to get word out with regard to some of these vacancies. There's some cool stuff in the works I can't talk about right now, um, but it, there's some really cool things that are happening that are taking place. We're really excited at the right time, right season. We will begin to announce some of those things, but until then, uh, yeah, just continue to pray. Continue to ask Jesus to bring blessing. We're, we are confident. I mean, we're at a really cool place a, as a church, you know, post-COVID. We, we need to go to two services pretty soon. There's a lot of stuff that's happening, a lot of roles that need to be filled, a lot of lot of growth that's actually happening church-wide. It's awesome. Like, good things are happening throughout our church. A lot of these are kind of growing pains that are happening as a part of our church. So it's good stuff. It's really good things that the Holy Spirit's doing. And so our job is to really just try to ask the question, how do we align ourselves with what God's up to and step into all that God's doing and be uh, vigilant, praying, um, supporting any way that we can. So again, Thank you to those of you guys that have been devoted to this church, this ministry, the people here. Thank you to the financial stewardship team for all the amazing, you know, amazingness that you guys provide and bring forth. Thank you. Um, how about we open our Bibles right now to the Gospel of Matthew? So I'm going to have you guys open up to a couple different places, actually three different places. You guys ready? You guys ready? You guys can do this? Three different spots. So Matthew chapter 22, Matthew 22, put your finger there. Um, then go forward a little bit to the book of Acts. So if you are looking for Matthew, it's the beginning of the New Testament, Matthew. Uh, go to the book of Acts, chapter 10, put your finger there. And then jump a little bit further to the book of Romans, chapter 12, put your finger there. I'm going to uh, kind of highlight and go back into all of these in just a moment. I'm going to pray real quick, and then we're going to get to work. Uh, we're in a little bit of a mini-series that today ends. It's the last one. It's kind of like a two-week part series that we've had, the big idea that we're trying to focus on is just asking the question in terms of what, what has God called us to be and to do as a church here on the Central Coast? Uh, another way to think about this in terms of like vision, who, who do we see God calling us to be here on the Central Coast? And how are we to, to live this out? We've been looking last week at kind of the variety of like mainly principles, uh, but then there's practices. So we are really trying to think about various principles that God's calling us to live into, and then the practices as to how we begin to implement those or live those out. That's going to vary from person to person, from small group to small group, from um, people that are filled with the Holy Spirit to living this type, type of stuff out. But we'll come back to that in a moment. Let me pray real quick, and then we'll read these passages, and we'll get to work. So, Jesus, right now we ask you that you would open our hearts to what you have to speak to us here this morning. We pray, Father, that you would give us an enthusiasm for all that the Spirit's up to. God, that we would embrace all that you are doing. God, we know our world is hurting right now. And even right now, we want to pray specifically for these hot spots where there's just unrest and violence and bloodshed, uh, whether it be in the Middle East, whether it be in Ukraine and Russia, whether it be in parts throughout Africa where there's just all forms of chaos and unrest. We pray, Jesus, would you bring forth healing and wholeness in these areas. God, help us to live more so than ever before with a sense of vigilance, a sense of devotion to you, Jesus, in this day and age in which we live in right now. We, we truly want to live, God, as people that represent you in this world. And 
so God, help us, we pray, by your strength to do so. And we ask all these things here this morning. In Jesus' name, we all said, amen. All right, let me go ahead and read these variety of passages, and then we'll get to work looking at them. So we basically said this. Let me, sorry, let's go back to this. Uh, what we said last week was, who are we and what are we to be doing? Uh, mentioned principles and practices that we are a community of people transformed by Jesus to, number one, love God, which is what we looked at last week. And then today we're going to look at love others and do good. Um, and the way this kind of plays out is, is important. If you guys don't have Bibles, you can raise your hand. We've got some ushers. I would love to get your Bible. Uh, go ahead, raise your hand. They'll get you one. Um, but what I want to do right now, I want to read those passages, and we'll begin to jump into this larger idea of what it means to actually love God and love others and do good. So let's read Matthew 22. Then Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And this is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all of the law and the prophets. Skip on down to Acts chapter 10. It says this of Jesus. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And Jesus went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. And then Romans chapter 12 verse 9. This kind of summarizes it all. Let love be genuine. Love for God or love for others? The answer to that is yes. Love for God and love for others. They are kind of two sides of the same coin. But then he goes on to say, abhor that which is evil and hold fast to that which is good. So there we go. This kind of forms the framework of the household that we see ourselves called to occupy and live in and to live out from in this world. So let's jump in a little bit and kind of recycle what we looked at a little bit last week. I'm not going to spend much time on this. But how do we love God rightly was the question that we looked at last week. We said devotion, obedience, awareness. The last one that we did not spend time looking at because it kind of dovetails in today is love others. This is essential because loving God is connected to loving others. If you, according to John, 1 John, if you claim, I love God, yet at the same time you hate your brother, you are a liar. For who, he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. No one's seen God, but you have seen your brother. Um, and the point that I think John's making here is pretty, pretty obvious, pretty blatant. So what I want to do today is I want to ask the bigger question specifically, how do we love others? What does that look like? And I, I really want to give some practical scriptural uh, points for us to kind of consider and think about, to reflect upon. I'm going to go through these fairly quickly um, because I think they're essential. Um, and I can spend a lot of time talking about these in the next few weeks, but we don't have a whole lot of time over the next few weeks talking about these. So I'm going to try to encapsulate this as much as I can and kind of just craft the scriptural principles of this. But then the practices for you to begin to live out, uh, the invitation for you would be able to think about these things, pray about them, ask God how he would want to implement them in your life, and then for you to again begin to live those out. So let's go to the next slide and take a look at how do we actually love others rightly. Love others rightly. And I want to go through this fairly quickly, and so try to keep up as best as you can. Um, number one is we, first of all, let me, let me define a little bit about love, because I think it's important for us to think about love, because we could talk about love all we want. Um, our world today, for the most part, when we think about the word or the subject love, we tend to think of an emotion, an emotion that someone has or a warm, fond feeling that someone has towards another human being. That's love. That's how we would at least define it in our culture today. So we say things like, I fall in love and I fall out of love. Uh, and that's, that's because that concept or that definition of love uh, fixes, uh, fixes well to our modern understanding of it. Now, the way Jesus and the New Testament writers would have understood love would have been a little bit different. 
um, according to the Greeks, which was what much of the New Testament was written in, that had at least four specific words, three specific words that were kind of found primarily throughout the New Testament. The first one, obviously, most of you guys are familiar with is the word agape. We'll come back to that in a second. The second one is phileo, which is more of like a brotherly type of a love, um, love between family members, kind of, it's a New Testament word that gets used often to describe the type of love that other Christians have with other Christians. It's a familial type of love. The third type of love that's predominant in the New Testament is the word eros. It's more of an erotic type of love. We actually get the word erotic from, or Taylor Swift names her to her after this. But the point of the matter is this, is that it's an erotic sexual type of a love that's between two people that have had exchanged some form of sexual encounter with one another. That's what eros means. But the word agape is a unique word. Oftentimes we tend to think of it in terms of being exclusively a love that defines God, um, which is true. However, it's not entirely uh, all-encompassing because Jesus would even say um, people love darkness more than light because their deeds are evil. So the word that Jesus himself uses to describe people that love darkness is the same word, agape. They are, they are in love with darkness. So what, what does the word agape uh, for the most part, typically mean. And I like to think of the word agape as basically a, a devotional type of love, a love that says, I devote myself, I give myself to you. So for example, when Jesus says, love your enemies, if love your enemies was arranged around our modern conceptions of love, meaning a warm, fuzzy feeling, I would probably recommend that's, that's an absolutely impossible command because I will never have warm, fuzzy feelings towards my enemy. Like none of us will because that's impossible. But if love is a form of devotion, it's an action, it's, it's, a, it's an act of your will where you are making a choice to devote yourself, to give yourself to someone else, then, therefore, that type of love can be embodied. And this is exactly what it means, agape. We, number one, we want to take a look at how we love is that this type of love, the way that we love others, first and foremost, is with Jesus as the paradigm, or if you want to think of it, Jesus as the model, the mentor, the example, the savior. This is how we see it. I'll read you a passage, John chapter 13. Jesus says this, a new commandment I give to you, love one another as I have loved you. So Jesus sets kind of the paradigm, the example, the model. Then he goes on to say, by this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Or if you want to think in parentheses that I have up there, have assurance. I talk to people all the time that lack assurance in their walk with Jesus. They're not really sure. I'm not really sure if I'm a Christian. I'm not really sure if I'm saved. I'm not really sure if I am going to be with Jesus for all eternity. I'm not really sure where I stand with God. What Jesus tells you right here, one of the primary ways in which you can have some degree of assurance is you love others as Jesus Loved you. This is the paradigm that Jesus is kind of setting. So one of the first primary ways in which we love others or engage in this act or becoming all that God intends us to be as a church community here on the Central Coast and beyond is we love others following the example that Jesus has loved us or shown or demonstrated love towards us. Okay, second thing, we're going to jump in to uh, the second way he would identify this, by praying for one another. This is how James would put this. James chapter 5, verse 13. He goes on to say, if any one of you among you is suffering, and James is kind of a very practical uh, book that kind of writes in sort of the, um, I don't know, the tradition of like the wisdom writers. Sometimes James sounds like he's like Solomon giving, dropping 
amazing wisdom, and he does this. But his whole idea that he's trying to frame for us is an understanding of, of walking with Jesus is practical. It's not just something we say or declare, you know, where one would declare, I'm a Christian or I follow Jesus. He's more concerned about the practice. Are you practicing this? Um, there are occasions where he would say, if you just simply look at someone and say, be warm, be filled, and you send them on their way, but you don't take time to help them in the midst of their suffering, then he says, you're basically acting hypocritical. So the point that I think James would be making here is one of the ways in which we actively love each other is we pray for one another. And again, verse uh, 13 of chapter 5, he says, if, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. And he goes on, there's some other additional things that he goes on to say, but the main gist of this is that Love expresses itself that when you are in a community of people, especially knowing that there may be some that are suffering, that we pray for them. And this is something I think when we gather together, every single time we gather, it's really easy for us to show up. We put on our game face, our happy face, everything's peachy, awesome, great face. And we come to communities like this, and people sometimes ask us. And it's, look, I don't know how much of this is just kind of California nature, but when someone's like, hey, how are you doing? You're like, I'm good. But we're really not good. We know that we're not really good, but we don't want to necessarily go into the depth of describing what's really going on in our soul, or we don't really feel safe sharing that. And that's, that's fine, too. I, I get that. But the point of the matter is, is that for many of us, we're just not good. Uh, and we don't really know how to break through that, that, that feeling of getting real with people because maybe we haven't developed the proper systems or relationships or context to be able to, to delve into that. But what if, what if as a church community, we were to create such an incredibly welcoming, hospitable, safe environment that if people are going through tough times, they know it's safe for them to be going through tough times. They know that there will be people there that will be able to pray for them and love them and care for them. Um, we, we all need that. My wife and I can't even tell you how many times throughout our life and our experience. We've been doing this for almost 30 years, a little over, yeah, almost 30 years. And the fact of the matter is, is that there have been so many times throughout our life where we have not been being okay, not okay. We're fragile. We feel very broken, but we just keep showing up because that's what God's called us to do. And not necessarily, I'm not going to use the podium to necessarily pour out the, the woes that I'm going through, there, it's, not the, it's not the appropriate space necessarily to do that. Okay, there's going to be occasions. It doesn't mean I'm not being real. It just means that I have to also at the same time uh, recognize that there are certain things I need for my soul in order to be taken care of. So my wife and I have friends. There's one friend in particular. If I were to say their name, my wife would be like, of course, I know who that is. Like, we, we go to them, and they, they pray for us. They are so overwhelmingly safe space where any time that we've been fragile, broken, limping, crawling, dying, they, they've been there to pray for us, to lay hands on us, to pray for us, to speak scripture over us, to just kind of go into like therapy with us as we need it. Like we need this. Like how and what would it look like if we were a church that every person that was filled with the Holy Spirit, anyone that follows Jesus, just kind of had this as a practice where when we engage with people, we have this awareness in our mind. The, the person I may be talking to you right now may not be being, they may not be doing okay. But I have the ability, by God's grace, to, to pray for them. Again, listen to how he says this. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. That's how we show love. Uh, thirdly, how else do we show love? We show love to others by authenticity. Romans chapter 12, verse 9 says this. Let love be Genuine. Let love be genuine. I love this word genuine. 
Um, it literally means without pretending. Uh, it has the word hypocrite in it. Uh, the actual Greek word that's there. I think it's anopokritos or something like that. Um, probably mispronounced it. But the idea is the word ano means to negate something, but hypocrite is the word that's in there. So we know the word hypocrite is kind of like an actor or pretender. Um, to not be pretending is his way of saying, love others without hypocrisy. I mean, it's, it's pretty obvious what that looks like. And it's really easy for us to know what it looks like to love others with hypocrisy. You know, we can very easily just pretend Put on our smiley face, fake it till you make a type of an idea. Um, but look, the, the fact of the matter is, I, I think what we are being invited into is to make certain that the love that we claim to have is genuine love. And I think there's practices that we can do to ensure and to root out and to check those areas where it's hypocritical, to repent from that, to change that, to change our course, to re-enter into a more authentic form of love. But again, I think Probably many of us have been around places before where you just feel like you're being tolerated, but not really loved. Have you ever experienced that? People just kind of put up with you. I've, my wife and I have had those experiences before where we've had relationships with people where over time they can kind of degenerate into like, man, I just kind of feel like I'm being tolerated. Like, not love, not welcome. And it's, that's hard because it's like you can't necessarily call someone on that. Like, hey, do you still like me because you sound like a junior high girl? And like, I don't want to sound like a junior high girl. And I don't want to sound like I'm emotionally needy. Like, I really need to know that you still like me. Is that, is that the case? It sounds so, like, needy. And I don't want to sound like that. But what would it look like if instead of ever having to be put in that position where you got to do that, we just genuinely loved one another? It doesn't mean we like each other. I want to be clear about this, because there might be elements or nuances or ways in which we act that kind of grade each other. That's going to be normal. It's common in any type of relationship. But again, what is love? Love is stepping into, it's a devotion, it's an action, it's a verb, it's a decision to say, I'm going to stay committed, stay connected, even though I may be annoyed, I'm still going to keep pressing through. I'm still going to keep showing up, because that's what love does. That model of love is the love of God for you. Do you think sometimes God might get annoyed with us? I kind of think so. A lot. A lot. But he continues to show up. He continues to invite us to his table. He continues to shower grace and affection and kindness and love upon us. Like, we need this. But Let's keep going. Fourthly, we see that we love each other also by way of humility. Listen to what Philippians chapter 2, verses 2 through 4 says. It says, having the same love as Jesus, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Humility, it's a word that we don't really use very often today, and it's a word that's constantly coming up throughout scriptures. It's an invitation for us, if you're a follower of Jesus, like prideful, arrogant, boastful activity is actually frowned upon. It's not the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is one of humility, gentleness, kindness, goodness. And these are the ways in which Jesus operates. And this is the way that Paul invites us to rearrange our understanding of love, which is a love of humility or a love for humility, a love that's acting in a way in which we are elevating other people. It's a selfless type of love where we are looking out 
for the benefit of other people? Again, think about this. If you showed up at a place where others actually thought about you. I mean, have you ever had people or conversations with people that they're the type of relationship where you're the one that's always asking them, so how are you doing? How are you really doing? But they never ask you, how are you doing? Have you ever had that? Right? Some of you might be like, that's my kid. Like, maybe. <laughs> but the point of the matter is it does and can get exhausting at times. But what would it look like if we became those type of people that were just regularly looking out for other people? And again, I think there's a tendency for us to, to think that if I don't look out for myself, then there's not going to be enough energy for me to just keep on going on. I don't even have enough energy to ask about other people's well-being because their stuff, their traumas, their hardships, their baggage, I don't think I'll be able to even carry that because of the stuff that I'm carrying. But here's the thing that's kind of unique with God. And, I've, I, you know, and I, my wife and I can bear testimony to this. Even when you are going through insane trauma or hardships or challenges, to the degree that you, you, know, you put that aside and say, you know what, there's someone in front of me right now that God wants me to show and demonstrate love to and ask them how are they doing and pray for them, something happens in that moment that God takes care of you. He gives you what you need. You could never outgive God. To the degree, the measure that you give out to others, God says, I will give back to you. This is just the way of the kingdom. It's the way God works. So if we operate regularly on a mindset of scarcity, I don't have enough to give out, so therefore I cannot give out. I don't have anything to offer, therefore I will not offer. And you're constantly just going on calculation mode. You will never, ever, ever walk in the Spirit. But to the degree that you look at your life and like, I don't have anything to give, or what I have to give is so limited, so small, so fragile, so frail, but what I have, I'm going to use it as a means of being a, a, a an agent of love and kindness and goodness to other people. And I, I'm just going to trust God to give me whatever it is I need provisionally. And he will always do that. We've, my wife, I can't even, I, we got thousands of stories to tell of just how God has done this. Dozen of them, even just from this past week. Okay, this is just how God works. An invitation is for us to see this as a vision to live and to orient our lives according to and to step into it completely. Lastly according to the idea of what does it look like to love other people. It looks like being a forgiving person. This is where it gets kind of a little bit hard and challenging. And again, there's no way to dodge this. This is literally the words of the New Testament. Paul the Apostle would say this, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, forgive one another just as God in Christ forgave you. Be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love as Christ loved us. So you see what Paul just did right there? He just did something that might be offensive to some. He connects love to forgiveness. And this is hard. This is hard, I admit. Because all of us, you live any amount of time, you will have a cache of people that have been wounders in your life. You live longer, you'll have, that list will grow insurmountably. You live long enough, and you will have the enough pain and sorrow and hurt and trauma in your life to absolutely wreck you and send you to your grave being a cantankerous old human being. We've all seen those people. So the question I would ask is, how do we avoid that path of becoming this grumpy, old, angry, embittered human being at the twilight of our life? There's, I have no other instruction for you other than forgiveness. I want to be clear here. Forgiveness does not mean 
welcoming someone back into your life, not, no stop of, uh, of trust, Me- meaning it, it's different than trusting people. Uh, we were meeting with someone recently who had gone through an incredible amount of trauma and pain as a result of a relationship. And to be able to communicate to them, yes, forgiveness is a path forward. You will never be in relationship with this person again. Just you know that. It will never happen because the trust has been so eroded and destroyed. However, forgiveness is something for you to enter into, to be transformed by, so that you don't become this cantankerous, angry old person. Uh, a book I read years ago was called The Bait of Satan. In, in the book, the main thesis of the book is that Satan, one of his number one baits in which he uses to lure you and I, specifically followers of Jesus, into a state or into a place of being stuck or frustrated or angry or just in a place where you are no longer effective as a disciple of Jesus. He describes hurts, offenses, left unchecked, lead to frustration, disappointment, and disenchantment. All the time. All the time. So you can look at your soul right now and be like, I'm just purely disenchanted. Follow it back upstream. What happened? I I promise you, I promise you, you follow that disenchantment back upstream, and you're going to find a hurt somewhere up there. Somewhere where you were let down. Somewhere where disappointment took place. Somewhere where something didn't go the way that it should have gone. And the way you handled it. The way that it was processed, the way it was worked through, never was done in a way that facilitated forgiveness or welcoming grace back in. And as a result of that, it, it malformed your soul and your response and therefore set you on a trajectory that is now shaping the person that you currently are and are currently becoming. Uh, it's big, serious stuff. All right, lastly, I want to end on this and I'm done. How do we do good? So big question I want to end on our last little thing. So number one, we want to become people that truly love God, love one another, and do good. So what does it look like for us to do good? Or another way, if you want to write this down in your notes, how do we align ourselves with the priorities of Jesus? That's kind of the way I want to, I'm going to frame the idea of being good. Um, align ourselves with the priorities of Jesus. I'm going to read a couple of passages. Acts chapter 10, verse 38 says this. God anointed, we just read this earlier, but I'm going to read it again. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And Jesus went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. And God was with him. Um, Romans chapter 12, verse 9. We read this earlier. I want to read it again. Let love be genuine. Abhor that which is evil. Hold fast to that which is good. So in this context here, we, we learn that abhorring evil is kind of the, the, is connected to doing good. So doing good is not just simply actively doing stuff. It also means abhorring certain things that God says, I don't like. I don't like this, I don't like that, I don't like how this works, I don't like this injustice that's going on here. To be able to abhor that type of injustice and to hold on to that which is good is kind of living this out. And then take a look at Luke chapter 4, verse 18. This is an important little passage. Uh, Jesus refers to this of himself. Listen to how it describes this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he, God, has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the liberty uh, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovering of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So I'm going to finish with just four little things to consider to think about and then a little quick little call to action or invitation. So number one, I think the way that we do good very quickly and clearly is to bear testimony to the living God. This is what Jesus did. He bore testimony to the saving actions of Yahweh God. He went about Doing good. So we do good by proclaiming, communicating. This, again, the, this is the principle. The practice is going to take different shapes. 
I mean, for some of you, like being the bullhorn guy, going downtown and shouting and proclaiming, Jesus is king, I love Jesus, whatever, that type of street evangelism, that might not be for you. That is a practice. For some of you, you're, you are that person that's good. God bless you, go for it, go do it. Others of us, but the, the principle is to proclaim the word of God. How do we do that? There's a lot of different ways in which we can do that. But the principle is proclaim. People that do good are actively looking for ways to make Jesus known. Secondly, they bring order out of chaos. When I read about Jesus going about uh, setting free those who are captive, uh, setting right that which is wrong, or healing those that are under the, the control of some form of disease, I see this is Jesus bringing order out of chaos. Uh, delivering the captive, imparting wisdom, speaking truth. All of these are ways of bringing, going into the depth of chaos and saying there's chaos that's resident here. So this is an opportunity for us to even think about where are those areas of chaos either in our lives or in the lives of people that we know. It could be a child. It could be an, uh, you know, your spouse. It could be someone that you love, someone that you know, a family member, someone that you work with. That They're just in a midst of chaos. I think about people that I know that are teachers, Every day you are going into a school filled with students that have variety of chaos. Every time you show up and you are present and you show kindness and you give good word and you speak truth and you're just the smile on, their, on your face to them, you are literally in that instant bringing order into their chaos. It's good work. It's good job. Thank you for doing that. All of you that are part of any form of bringing good into this world, we need it more than ever. Thirdly, I see stewarding what has been given to you. So this is, again, this is Matthew chapter 25. You can read it on your own. Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30, Jesus gives this parable of a, of a good steward. But this is part of what it means to do good. What has God given you? Think about your time, treasure, and talents. How much time do you have on your hand? What types of treasures do you have? What types of talent has God given you? How are you stewarding that? It's not innate to you. God gave that to you because he loves you. And he, he loves you so that as you give this back to him, God will use it so that it will be a blessing of other people. And this is what it means to, to do good within this world. And then lastly, uh, Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 7 describes, seek the welfare of the city. And this is a moment where the children of Israel were set off into uh, exile. And while they're off in exile, they're living in Babylon, okay? Living in Babylon. Like, Babylon is a quintessential example of this paganism. And God says, in the middle of Babylon, I want you to live in such a way that you seek the welfare, the good of the city around you. And the point that I'd make is this, is that what does it look like for us to be people that do good? It means that we align our priorities around Jesus. And lastly, I want to just finish with some calls or ways to in, think about an invitation to step into this. Number one, I think just take inventory. Just take inventory. Um, to what you've devoted yourself to. Like what in your life right now have you devoted yourself to that may need some rearranging? Maybe you've been devoting yourself to the wrong thing. And part of what it means to follow Jesus means to identify, to identify what are those areas that maybe I have been wholeheartedly devoting myself to something that does not align with God's kingdom. Uh, secondly, it means to repent and reprioritize our devotion to align with God. And this is a way for us to like, think about and turn away from those areas and say, I'm gonna reprioritize my life to the one who had given himself to me. And then lastly, to be present with God, neighbor, church, family, and community. 
Who are, the, who are the people in your life, in those areas of your life, that maybe God's inviting you to be present? Again, for some of us, it's going to look different for, throughout various times and seasons of our lives. This is why I said earlier, to me, I really want to focus on the principles and the practices are something that you're going to have to think about and pray about, how to actually make some of these things practices. And I would suggest that as we are devoting ourselves to loving God, loving others, and doing good, then I, I truly, to the degree that we're doing that, I truly believe that God will bring blessing to the work that he's doing here on the Central Coast and beyond. Look, guys, we live in a world right now that is under a state of just sheer chaos. I'm sorry, I didn't mean, that was not like in a dramatic, like, <laughs> that seems so like weird, Dr- drama, yeah, drama, drama queen, drama king. Um, the, the bottom line is we live in a world, and I'm sorry about that, I'm not sure why I'm going with this, but to get the idea, we live in a world right now that's filled with chaos. There's so much uncertainty. I, like you, we're probably watching social media feeds of what's happening in Israel right now. Do you, do you know that it was 50 years ago, almost to the day of the Yom Kippur War? A lot of people believe that's why it happened yesterday, was is a way of basically saying, no, we're, we're done with Israel. And look, it's been a powder keg for a long time. I don't know what's going to happen. All I do know that it's no doubt probably not good for the peace of this world in which we're living. Um, I don't say that to scare anyone. We shouldn't be people of fear. Um, recently, the meme has been going around. How often do you as a dude think about the Roman Empire? Look, um, the fact of the matter is, I think about the Roman Empire a lot, not in the context of Rome itself, but in the context of Augustine, specifically when he writes about the city of God. And in his famous book called The City of God, his whole point is to say, we've been living under this paradigm of Rome, which has been the superpower for many, 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 many hundreds of years. But Rome is on the verge of collapse. So how... Ought we, as the people of God, living in and under the banner of Rome to function and live, knowing that our first and foremost primary devotion is not to the kingdom of Rome, but to the kingdom of God, the city of God, not the city of Rome. And so, I don't know how this resonates with you, all that we're looking at. My, my hope that Calvary Slow and what values we hold on to and the principles that we align our lives around become so definitive of the type of people that God wants to shape in us, that as we step out of these doors and go into all the variety of places that God's called us to, that we just breathe life into every place we go. That's, what the, that's why the church took off with such exuberance it did at the very beginning, even though it was a maligned, hated minority group. Because love defined them, love for God, love for others, and doing good. And God added to the church daily. I want to be that type of people here in Slow and beyond. And I hope you guys do too as well. So I'm going to finish right now. I'm going to have us all stand. Mikey will come up and lead us in a closing song of worship. And I want for us as we finish to just think about what is God calling us into? What type of practices does this look like for us to live out and to embody? So I want to pray over us right now. Let's all stand. And I want to consider this, and then at the very end, we will finish up with some final just invitations for you guys to be prayed for, whatever, but as we close right now, just ask God right now, God, what are those areas in my life right now that you are calling me to repent from, to reorient my life around the ways of Jesus? Guys, this world is, is burning. I mean, it's, I don't know how to describe it. It's like Rome at one point was burning. Augustine looked around his landscape. It's like, this is if we put our hope in Rome, we're dead. 
If we put our hope in this world, we're, we're going we're gonna to burn with it. But if we put our hope in Jesus, we have a city of God that will never, ever burn away. It, it will last. It will endure. Because our God, who's the king of that city, will endure. And this is where our hope is at. And this is a good, this is a good thing. So I want to pray for us, and we'll lift up our voices and sing. So Jesus, right now, we, we confess to you our need for you. Uh, God, whether we are followers of you and we just need to reprioritize areas in our life, or maybe we are far away from you, we're trying to figure out, uh, make sense of the claims of Jesus. And if that's you here this morning, if you're not a follower of Jesus, um, I want to just specifically invite you to just ask Jesus to wash you, to cleanse you, to forgive you. It's as simple as that. Use your own words. Just say, Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, remake me. Jesus, empower me. Jesus, help me to be all that you call me to be. Scripture is pretty clear. Like, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. That's what it says. You are saved. Congratulations. That's amazing. Jesus is doing a fresh work in your life. So, God, help us to truly live into these principles of loving you, loving others, and doing good.